like we never Let's left. Go. It's Double Move Sports. As always, I'm Steph Albiero. We got hoodie Steph today in the building. It's getting serious. You've been on the here. live streams. You've been on the live streams. You know hoodie Steph well. No, no hangover this time. But as <laughs> always, I'm here with Alex Lott, the fantasy phenom, partner in crime here at DMS. What's up, brother? Dude, weird. We're recording on a Wednesday evening. And just wrapped up Wednesday afternoon football. So Steelers just picked up that 11th dub over the Ravens. Um, but look, it's it's crunch time. If you're still with us, it means you're in contention. You're either needing to win this week to get in the playoffs or you're trying to set, your, set yourself up for success. So you look at the playoffs and you say, do you need depth on your roster or do you need upside? I think, Steph, you and I both would normally say get that upside. Get those high-value handcuffs. Get that guy that could pop off and win you a league. But this year, I don't know. The depth seems to be so important. So, Steph, I'm just going to throw it right to you. Would you rather have depth in this weird COVID year or those high-value handcuffs on your bench for that upside? The true answer to this question is it just depends on your roster. You know, A mix of both, right? Yeah. I mean, depth, hopefully at this point you've known, hey, I'm going to make the playoffs. You've been just churning the back half of your roster, those last two or three spots every single week, just grabbing new guys up off the waiver wire for free. And hopefully this means now you're sitting on a team where you have guys like Michael Pittman sitting at the end of your bench. You have a J.K. Dobbins that you've had stashed away. Maybe you bought him low. Nelson Aguilar could be another one. Uh, maybe somebody dropped yeah. Brandon Ayuk or Tim Patrick, who's had a good game. I've seen Darius Slayton on waiver wire. So there's this... These guys that you can just keep churning on the back of your roster that hopefully now you're in a spot where you can plug them in. You have that depth, but you still have all the studs that you picked up around draft season or that you acquired through trade. And I think we have a lot of studs to talk about on today's show. And week 13 has a somewhat loaded slate. We have the Rams and the Cardinals, the Browns against the Titans. So two games between teams with winning records, and that's really it. Everything else... Uh, is at least one of the teams has a losing record on the season. Some other fun ones to watch are going to be Buffalo, San Francisco, and New Orleans, Atlanta. Man, that New Orleans, Atlanta game, I really want to see, like I want to see the Falcons jump all over the Saints at home and see what Taysom Hill has to do if they have to throw the ball. There are two games with Taysom. They've been able to casually run the ball. Obviously against Denver last week, he didn't need to throw it at all. I want to see Atlanta get up in that game and see what Taysom Hill is made of because – Honestly, my Alvin Kamara shares need that passing game. So that one's fun. And then in bye weeks this week, Carolina and Tampa Bay, two teams that are actually loaded with fantasy assets this season, both have three relevant wide receivers. You got Gronk, Rojo, Fournette, Brady, uh, Mike Davis slash CMC. So if you're on the on the, the verge of the playoffs and you have some Carolina or Tampa Bay guys, I hope you have some plugins to get you through. But it should be a fun week. We're going to hit on plenty of those plug-in names on this episode, but let's jump into our first topic of our week 13 Ooh. preview. Can't believe we're 13 weeks in. Haven't had a single canceled game yet. They're fighting tooth and nail with, you know, maybe there's a debate to be had about player safety, player health. But nonetheless, it's, it's what we got to work with from a fantasy perspective. But let's talk about Tyreek Hill. Absolutely Man. exploded against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which was a game that we had circled, and the Chiefs took it and ran with it, and Tyreek Hill just 
like what more can you even say 269 yards 13 receptions three touchdowns 269 yards is seventh highest in a game since the year 2000 and he's currently the wide receiver one so let's talk about Tyreek his value from a dynasty perspective for those of you who are in dynasty leagues I think in the offseason we'll get into that 2020 dynasty and redraft what's the takeaway here on Tyreek Hill shouldn't we have all seen this coming I mean, we should have, but he put up 57.9 fantasy points in this game. Just for context, there's only, if you take the last three weeks combined, only three wide receivers have put up that many points in the last three weeks combined, and it's Justin Jefferson, Keenan Allen, Devontae Adams. Outside of that, Tyreek Hill literally would have been the wide receiver four over the last three weeks if he only played one game. So just an absolutely remarkable historic game. But I think Tyreek Hill is... The wide receiver one, rest of season, I think to me, he's actually the dynasty wide receiver one. Wow. Because what he's been, I mean, I have to fault myself for not seeing it earlier. I mean, this far in the season, he's been very solid, very consistent. He scored a lot of touchdowns, but we know the upside that Tyreek Hill has. Now, typically every single season, we'll have a game or two where he just kind of disappears. But this season, he's had that consistency because the touchdowns have been there. And this is the ceiling you talk about. I don't think there's another player in fantasy football that gives you the kind of ceiling that Tyreek Hill has. Like, think about this. If the Bucs would have stayed in this game, Tyreek Hill could have had a fourth touchdown. He could have had 350 yards in this game because the Chiefs just throttled it back, didn't have to do anything for the whole second half, and they were on cruise control. So, you know, Tyreek Hill's tied to Patrick Mahomes. He's only 26 years old. He's the fastest player, you know, on – in regards to field speed, he's the fastest player in the league yeah. based on the eye test. So I, I don't know how. I mean, Devontae Adams is great. You and I are both big Devontae Adams fans. I think those two guys are one, two. Now, Devontae's probably going to be a little bit more consistent typically over time. Um, you know, if you look at a, at a huge sample size. But as far as the upside goes, you just can't beat what you're getting here from Tyreek Hill. And at the end of the day, you look at the quarterback spot and there's no one better than Mahomes right now. So Tyreek Hill for me has got to be the number one. Going into drafts next year, I, I think Tyreek Hill is going to be right in that Julio Jones range probably now and for the next couple years until we start to see a drop-off. And the fear with drafting Tyreek Hill at all, if there, there was a fear, was you know, you're taking him back of the first, maybe early second round, and just the fact that he was boom-bust. And I think that fear can just be completely erased from our minds now because the floor has been incredibly high in 2020 he only has one game with this year with less than 15 fantasy points wow last year he had only five games where he had more than 15 fantasy fantasy points on his way to finishing 12th in points per game so last year it was much more boom bust this year he's had an incredibly high floor and has had those pop games on top of it and Tyreek is doing this at 26 years old he's right at the peak of his production The age apex for wide receivers is 26 to 27. And in Dynasty, I don't know if I'd have him at my wide receiver one like you do. I think that's a little bit of a hot take. I'm not going to debate you too hard, though, but he's comfortably in my top five. Probably have him right there at three behind Devontae Adams and Michael Thomas. And then you got guys kind of breathing down his neck. The young guns, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, CD Lamb. Then you got, got like DeAndre Hopkins and DJ Moore in there as well. But I think Tyreek is very sustainable like his his production that he's putting up should continue year over year because I don't see the situation changing that much when he's tied to Mahomes Andy Reid and this Kansas City offense 
And next year, there may be some regression, but the Chiefs are passing the ball a ton. And that's part of why Tyreek's floor has risen so much. Mahomes is third in the league in pass attempts. The Chiefs are eighth in pass plays per game. And that's with them dominating teams on the way to a 10-1 record. And you look at the target share for Tyreek Hill. In 2019, it was 21%. Now it's up to 24%. He's seventh on the season in targets, averaging nine per game. Then you add in the fact that every reception is packed to the brim with fantasy points. He's fourth in red zone targets, first in touchdowns with 14 on the season, number one in air yards, number one in deep targets, and top 10 in yards after the catch. So there it's really unreal. There, there isn't any more that you would want in a wide receiver than 2020 Tyreek Hill. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I know he dealt with some injuries last year, but typically you don't think of Tyreek Hill as one of the most injury-prone guys either. He, he's, for the most part, stayed healthy. Um, over the course of his career. I mean, everyone deals with it here and there, getting a little nicked up. But the thing about Tyreek Hill, and probably half the reason I didn't give him the credit he deserves as like a top three fantasy wide receiver or a top three dynasty wide receiver was, he's just not built like what we think of as a prototypical alpha wide receiver one. You think about Megatron, you think about Julio Jones, Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins. These are big, huge athletic guys that are fast, even DK Metcalf that can kind of do it all. And for the longest time, we thought of Tyreek Hill as this small, fast, one-trick pony. But he is so, so much more than that, and he is proving it on the Kansas City Chiefs. So I'm still kicking myself. I had a chance to buy Tyreek Hill earlier in the season in redraft for a couple of assets that were hot. I didn't do it, and that's something that would have absolutely turned my season around because I kind of um, discredited what Tyreek Hill was doing. So kicking myself for that one now. And if you have Tyreek Hill, obviously you're locking him in. Uh, every single week if it's any kind of keeper format I, I can't imagine keeping anyone over Tyree Kill unless you have like a CMC and Alvin Kamara or a Dalvin Cook on your roster so the sky's the limit for Tyreek he's tied to a great quarterback and he's going to be one of those guys that could pop in these fantasy playoffs and single-handedly win you weeks like he probably did for you here in week 12. Next up on the schedule for Tyreek he has Denver Miami, New Orleans, Atlanta in week 16 wow. in the fantasy championship you'd love to see that there but all of those, you're starting him regardless of the matchup. Really, none of those scare me. Maybe New Orleans, but you're firing Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill up every single week. No questions asked because he's an absolute stud. Now let's talk about another player who's been rising and is coming off a huge game. It's Antonio Gibson. He was kind of slowly creeping Man. up against the Bengals in Week 11. 51% of snaps. That was his first time over 50% snap share in a game, and then boom, against Dallas in Week 12 on Thanksgiving, 20 attempts for 115 yards and three touchdowns, five for seven through the air, and this is the game I think we all, if you were ever skeptical, this was what you needed to see for Gibson. He smashed in an easy matchup. He's been given the volume, and he's the RB5 in PPR and standard leagues right now. So Gibson, he was an upside shot in drafts. That is now winning people leagues this season. I know you and I, we, we're Gibson fans, but we weren't necessarily all in on Gibson around draft season because we just didn't know how good this Washington team was going to be. He was in a timeshare to start the year with Peyton Barber. J.D. McKissick has still been getting involved as well. But what we've seen is that he can produce, and even with his ADP creeping up into 7th, 8th round and a lot of redraft drafts, Gibson was absolutely worth that investment. Every week, he's a no-question starter. Even in his next two matchups, they are tough. He's got Pittsburgh and San Francisco over the next two weeks. But then after that, he has Seattle and Carolina to wrap up the fantasy season. 
Alex, what's your take here on Antonio Gibson rest of season and even into 2021? Yeah, I mean, Antonio Gibson's a lock-it-in kind of guy. Uh, he, the production is speaking for itself. Um, he's getting the touches. He's getting the workload. And the thing that stands out to me about this last week against Dallas, it shows you the upside that Antonio Gibson can have in positive game scripts. Now, Antonio Gibson's been incredibly consistent all season long. He's got one, two, three, four, five, six. He's got 11 touchdowns on the ground this season. So, you know, he's being the essentially the goal line back. I know week one, Peyton Barber got a couple, but since then it's been Antonio Gibson season. But this Dallas game, he was on the field so much and got used so much because of the positive game script. The The Washington football team isn't a team that typically is used to playing with a lead, especially this season. <laughs> Actually, especially the last however many seasons I can remember them being around. Um, so, you know, they're used to having to flex in J.D. McKissick on those passing downs. They're used to having to, you know, take not getting many red zone opportunities, but then also taking Antonio Gibson out, feature other guys in the passing offense because they're normally playing from behind in this game. They got a strong lead. Ironically, it was one of J.D. McKissick's worst games of the season, or at least for his past hot stretch. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it was because they were winning in this game. They didn't need to use J.D. McKissick in those passing personnel, those third down back situations, those come from behind situations. So Antonio Gibson got a ton of run in this game, 65% of snaps, highest he's gotten on the season. You know, 20 carries on the ground, seven targets through the air, 27 opportunities. There, you know, I can count on about five fingers how many running backs in the league are getting that on a week-in and week-out basis or even have the potential to get there. So Antonio Gibson has absolutely exceeded expectations. I don't think this is a mirage. I don't think you can expect these kind of breakout weeks for him moving forward, especially when you look at their schedule and it's Pittsburgh, San Francisco, Seattle over the next, over the next three weeks. I do expect them to be typically playing from behind, maybe using JD McKissick a little bit more, but even, even having said that Antonio Gibson has proved to be a solid fantasy asset. If he can get you those 10 to 15 carries with the touchdown upside that he has had, He's gotten tons of opportunities. And then if he can sprinkle in a couple targets as well, you're going to be very, very happy. I think he is a top 15 running back rest of the season, and you're going to be pretty hard-pressed to find two or three backs on your roster that you're willing to play over him on a given week. It seems like J.D. McKissick is really only used in comeback mode, just like you, you were alluding to. So that makes Gibson a smash play in the right game script. J.D. McKissick, one carry, two targets in this Dallas game. And I think you can start Gibson. Lowest, with- lowest snap percentage on the season, only 39% of snaps previous three weeks, 51, 70, and 84%. So that kind of illustrates the picture right there. 100%. And you want to start Gibson with confidence given the role that he's gotten. He's been relied upon heavily in all ass- facets of the offense. 139 carries this season. That's 13 per game, 14th in the NFL. And he's top 15 amongst running backs and targets with 39. On top of that, he's the clear goal line back, top 15 in the NFL in red zone touches, fourth in touchdowns with 11, and he scored in 75% of his games this season. It's crazy. Uh, which I would not have expected that at all to start the season. And it's not like it's because he has a ton of breakaway runs. It's just that this Washington football team's actually been able to score, whether it's in garbage time um, or you know them being able to actually put up the points and move the ball a little bit. Now with Alex Smith at play, Dwayne Haskins even had some moments. Kyle Allen had some moments, but they've been doing enough to give Gibson those red zone opportunities. And it's almost like that that poor quarterback play has led to them relying on the ground game a little bit more when they are in the red zone. So Gibson, he hasn't been hyper efficient. I think that's what a lot of people liked about him was that he was going to be this home run hitter. That isn't what he's been. He's been moderately efficient, 
but that volume that he's gotten has made up for it in spades. So uh, I, I love Gibson. I think you're right. He's a top 15 guy. Now I do have a question for you the rest of this year. And we'll even talk about 2021 Antonio Gibson or Josh Jacobs. These are guys that I put mm. almost the exact same type of player. I think I like Antonio Gibson a little bit more for what he can give us in the passing game. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's tough because Jacobs is a little bit banged up right now. I'm actually looking at season-to-date rankings. I'm shocked to see that Josh Jacobs is the RB6. I thought he'd be way lower. He's felt very disappointing. I have to go with Jacobs. I think the Raiders' offense is a little bit stronger. Uh, They're typically in these shootout games. I think the scoring opportunities, it's crazy because I feel like there should be more scoring opportunities for Josh Jacobs than we're talking about Antonio Gibson scoring in 75% of his games. So. One way or another, Antonio Gibson is finding a way to get it done. At this point, I still do trust Josh Jacobs a little more. Now, having said that, he does have the ankle injury. He didn't practice today as as of when we're recording on Wednesday. Assuming he is back on the field on Sunday, I think I still lean the way of Josh Jacobs. Interesting take there. Barely. We'll see how it changes over time. It's closer than it should be. Yeah, it's very close. Uh, And and that's why I brought up Jacobs there. They're the same type of player, and they're back-to-back on the season. In terms of fantasy points, but give me Gibson, give me Gibson over Zeke. I mean, right? Are you with me there? Give me Gibson over Ceh. Give me Gibson over a lot of those guys. I mean, honestly, Kenyon Drake is tough. Um, Kenyon Drake's getting that same same kind of volume, but yeah, give me give me him over Zeke. Give me him over Ceh for the rest of the year. I think for 2020, I agree. From long term dynasty, I'm still putting Zeke over those guys. Yeah, that's redraft. Okay. Definitely just redraft. Yeah, not talking dynasty there. Well, let's talk about another running back. He's back like he never left. Austin Eckler. Shout out to my boy Ecky <laughs> back go. on the field. We've been waiting for this one for a while, man. Two big Eckler fans here. <laughs> and I know you definitely needed it for your dynasty roster and potentially some redraft rosters as well. Let's talk about Austin Eckler. First game back. Yeah. Lacks some of the extra burst, but 24 fantasy points in his return against Buffalo. We saw Joshua Kelly come in and snipe a touchdown from him. I think you just have to get used to that if you're an Austin Eckler shareholder. And Joshua Kelly was able to put up seven attempts for 35 yards and a touchdown. But even with that, you're still starting Eckler every single week. Yeah, I mean, Eckler's back 73% of snaps in this game. I thought they'd ease him in maybe, you know, 10 to 12 touches in this game you know a they lot didn't of get the luxury t- to do that they they were in yeah a lot of those big a lot of those being through the air so still startable this week but 73 percent of snaps 14 carries 44 yards 11 receptions for 85 yards on 16 targets <laughs> i don't know like if this is easing him back in austin eckler Yikes. is on on a rocket ship towards the top of the ppr rest of season rankings to me he's a top five guy like they had every reason not to give Austin Eckler this kind of workload, but the fact that he was out there, the fact that it's not just videos of him running on Twitter and him squatting, he's like actually on the field putting in this kind of production, you, you just can't deny it. So what? how many other running backs are getting 14 carries and 16 targets? The answer is zero now that Alvin Kamara has Taysom Hill as his quarterback. So to me, tied to Justin Herbert in this offense, that's passing the ball a ton, the defense is depleted by injuries, so they're in these shootout games. He is exactly what Justin Herbert needs, and Justin Herbert's a smart guy, right? Like, he knows Keenan Allen's his boy. 
you know, the other options have been hit or miss. Hunter Henry, Mike Williams, they'll have their moments, but he knows Austin Eckler's great. He's a great pass catching running back. It's going to make Justin Herbert's job a lot easier if he can dump the ball off to Austin Eckler or get Eckler against a linebacker and easily get open in man to man coverage and get, you know, eight to 10 yards on a completion that's three air yards. So Justin Herbert's going to use him a ton. The touchdowns, you know, he didn't even score a touchdown in this game. And it was it was a huge fantasy day. You mentioned Josh Kelly coming in and vulturing that touchdown, but Eckler was in in the red zone near the goal line. It wasn't like you know they rotated Josh Kelly in as their guy, or you know Troy Main Pope or one of the, these other guys. They gave Eckler his fair share. The lanes just weren't there. The holes just weren't there. So I think Eckler will get into the end zone sooner rather than later. And with the volume, he's a must start every single week. And if you held on to him in your IR spot or on your bench, you might have held on to someone who's going to come back and be a league winner. We had to lose Alvin Kamara to get Austin Eckler. It's too soon. The fantasy gods could not let us have both. These two receiving backs we love in PPR. And and the two fully healthy games that Eckler and Herbert have had together, Eckler's had double-digit targets. And this season, in just the games that he's played, he has an 18% target share when on the field. He's used a ton, always running routes out of the backfield, looked too early and often. And anyone saying that Keenan Allen, who didn't really have a great game, he was he had four receptions, but he still saw 10 targets. He did actually end up having a touchdown. Anyone saying Keenan Allen takes a hit from Eckler being back, I think it's just it's a silly take. It was yeah. just an inefficient game. That's just part of the variance with wide receivers. I'm not reading into it too much. I'm smashing on Keenan Allen every week. I'm smashing on Austin Eckler every week. Steph, Kalen Balage for crying out loud, got nine targets and six targets in his past two games. So they're just using – they're funneling a ton of volume to the running back as it is. I, I'm with you on that Keenan Allen take. I think Keenan will be fine. And we have a pretty nice schedule here. New England next week which doesn't get me super excited, but then Atlanta, Las Vegas, and Denver in the fantasy Ooh. championship. You love that there for the Chargers. Fire them all up. Fire up Justin Herbert. And he's probably on his way to a rookie of the year win when this is all said and done in 2020. Let's talk about Will Fuller, who's now been suspended for six games with the PED violation. It's just, it's an unfortunate part of sports. And really, it's like I don't think it was steroids. You can tell me if I'm wrong here. He just took medication that he thought was allowed, and it wasn't. And that's something that, you know, this is not comparable really at all. But you know, I was an NCAA athlete. There was a lot of of situations. I was a swimmer. People would be given medication for like respiratory issues or blood pressure issues, things like that. And we come to find out, you know, they'll change the rule even a month later. You've been taking this medication that you've been prescribed, your trainers have given you. And then the next day it's like, oh, you're not allowed to take this. Well, that drug is still in your system. You're going to test positive. I don't think this is anything to say against Will Fuller. I've seen some, a lot of hate thrown his way saying, oh, of course, this is the, the one year that he could stay healthy. It was like, no, like get all that out of here. That's I believe it was an it was an innocent mistake. I mean, for crying out loud, when I was playing football at Louisville, they didn't let me take certain pre workouts because they thought it could trigger, um, you know, the the drug test. So I don't know what they were putting in those pre workouts. I don't know, you know, if they would have made me literally <laughs> the- run through a brick wall. But I believe the genuine belief that Will Fuller took something. I don't think he was like juicing up, trying to get bigger, faster, stronger. But Steph, not a big conspiracy guy. Whether it was an innocent mistake or you know 
malicious. I don't think it was, but this could this have contributed to the fact that Will Fuller has stayed for the most part healthy through 12 weeks of the season? I think that's probably the question in the back of people's minds that they don't want to bring to the surface because they're like, well, I don't know. You know, I don't want to throw him under the bus here, but it's, it's it's a bit of a coincidence. I don't know. I think we need to know what the medication is before we can really come up with a take yeah. on that. No scientists here on Double Move Sports. <laughs> I, no scientists. What medication can make like your hamstring and your ACL stronger? Like like steroids. Know. It has to be what it is, and I don't think that's what he was taking. Um, I could be wrong on that. Again, he came out on Instagram said it was medication. Um, it, but again, it, they ruled it as a performance enhancing drug. We really don't know. But the interesting part with Will Fuller is that he's in a contract year, so he may not be on the Texans next season. I think the suspension is only going to hurt when he goes to the signing table with the Texans over the offseason. Right now, he's the PPR wide receiver eight, was averaging seven targets a game, a 21% target share, 17% target share in the red zone, and a 34% air yard share on this Houston Texans team. So what are the implications here? For the Texans pass catchers, do all of them get a bump? I'm pretty locked in on Brandon Cooks. It's disappointing. We've always said if Will Fuller could stay healthy, what would he be? And here we are. And it's the year where DeAndre Hopkins is gone. He has all this opportunity. He stays healthy. Wide receiver eight in PPR. And just so unfortunate. And it sucks for Will Fuller, too, because he's probably going to lose a pretty fat contract because of this suspension. I I see him getting like a one-year deal, whether it's Houston or somewhere else. Kind of a prove-it deal. Prove you can stay healthy. Prove you've got it. But... I'm not necessarily locked in on everyone getting a bump. I think Brandon Cooks was really thriving in that number two role. Will Fuller's taking a lot of attention on the other side of the ball. I don't know that Brandon Cooks is one of those guys that can just thrive with all the attention. Like, who else is going to draw these corners? Who else is going to draw safety help and double teams and things like that? It's not Kiki Kuti. It's not Jordan Akins. It's not any of the running backs catching the ball of the backfield. So, I think Brandon Cooks might see a slight bump in volume, which is obviously good. I don't know how efficient he's going to be with that extra volume. So maybe I bump Brandon Cooks up from a, you know, low-end wide receiver two to more of a mid-tier wide receiver two, but it's nothing drastic. You know, I don't think that volume just shifts over to Brandon Cooks. Randall Cobb's still injured. Kenny Stills is off the team. I'm not too interested in Kiki Kuti. Let's wait and see if he has a couple good games here. Maybe pick him up. Jordan Akins becomes a little bit more interesting as a streaming tight end. Deshaun Watson is still a start every week guy, even though I think it does hurt his upside. Um, And then the running backs. Maybe we see some more volume go to the running backs. Maybe Duke Johnson gets more involved, lines up in the slot, starts lining up as a wide receiver when David Johnson comes back. But for me, it's hard to see a lot of positives here for the Texans. I think as a whole, it just hurts their offense. Yeah, definitely a downgrade for Deshaun Watson as well. I, I think Randall Cobb, if if this had happened earlier in the season, I think he becomes an interesting waiver name. But we're this far in. You're, you're either in the fantasy playoffs or you're not. Maybe there's some value for him with you know Cooks taking over the one role. Cobb can step into the B slot role where he's had had his moments. But, yeah, I'm with you. This this hurts a lot of them. Um, and I'm, I'm sure the tight ends will see a bump. I'm sure Kiki QT will see a bump. But those are just not fantasy-reliable assets that you want to plug into your lineup every week. I did see that David Johnson, they announced it probably 30 minutes before we hit record here, that he is expected to be back, potentially could play this week. That You know how big of a deal that is for my roster, Alex. So I need you to win in our <laughs> league of record this week because I need you to kick that team out of the playoffs for me so please david johnson give steph like you know 35 points this week that would be well i mean i i think him and duke could actually see a bump in their passing and usage with just that many targets now available 21 percent 
of targets are now just vacant on this team. That has to go to somebody. I think Duke Johnson and David Johnson could see bumps from that, but I don't know how much, you know, is that going to go to to both of them equally? Probably not. Is it going to be something that changes every single week? Probably. So not something that we can put a firm, you know, start this guy, sit this guy type of thing. We just have to see next week how things play out. And the matchups don't really get me excited. Indianapolis, Chicago, Indianapolis again before Cincinnati in week 16. I'm sure they're, everybody's going to have their games at different moments. I'm sure Cooks is, could have a good game in there. I'm sure David Johnson is going to have good games in there. Deshaun Watson is going to have good games in there. But just none of them are that reliable. None of those get you really excited to start them. So I'm trying to avoid the Texans as much as I can. But let's get into our running back start sits for week 13. It's huge. We got five names on here. Some are a little bit more chalk. Some are some deeper names. And the first one I want to start with is a guy that before he hit record here, I was just blown away looking at some of the stats. RB13 on the year in PPR is Naheem Hines. And I feel like just saying that alone should mean that you have to start him this week, but it's crazy. Why does he feel like one of these flex guys? I can't, you blew my mind with that because he feels like someone you can never trust yet. He is RB. What'd you say? 14 on the season, 13. And, and, what that's come from Jeez. is he's had these 30-point outings now multiple times over the season. And then if he's not giving you 30 points, he's giving you somewhere like 6 to 12. So he has been a little bit more boom-bust, especially for a running back. Typically, they're a little bit more less boom-bust than wide receivers. Naheem Himes is almost like a boom-bust wide receiver play at this point. But he is a guy that I'm willing to flex and willing to plug into my RB2 spot if I need him there. Just because he has shown that he has that pop potential, has that matchup against the Houston Texans this week, which are 31st, second to last against running backs, I think Hines is going to eat. Yeah, I'm starting Hines this week. <clears throat> and there, there's always potential people, I mean, where he, he gets hot-handed out, where maybe it's a Jonathan Taylor game or a Jordan Wilkins game. You have to know that that's part of it. But you still have to, I think, start him because if he puts up 30 points on your bench, you're going to be pissed. Yeah, and he's developed a little bit of a floor now. I know he's been under 10 PPR fantasy points this year, more than he's been over it. But when he's under, I mean, he's at, you know, seven points, eight points. It's not it's not good. I'm not saying that's good by any means, but he's he's only really crushed you, crushed you one or two times. And, and the trend is definitely pointing up for Naheem Hines. Now, as a Colts fan, I've watched every single game, and Naheem Hines – just feels like a player that they're trusting more and more and more. He's really starting to see a bigger snap share. There's word on the street that Jordan Wilkins is dealing with being a little bit nicked up as well. So maybe Hines steps into those snaps with Jonathan Taylor presumed to return this week. But Phillip Rivers, we've said it. We said it going into the year. You called it going into the year. Phillip Rivers checks down to the running back. We've seen it with Jonathan Taylor. We've seen it with Jordan Wilkins, guys that don't catch passes. And here we are with Naheem Hines. We shouldn't be surprised that he's thriving with a quarterback with the tendencies of Phillip Rivers in this offense. It fits his skill set perfectly. This is a matchup against Houston where I expect points to be put up on the board. We've seen the Colts defense really bend here over the past couple of weeks. I know this past week against Tennessee, they got lit up. No DeForest Buckner, a couple other guys out. So I'm not counting that against them too much, but they haven't been as dominant as they were in those first several games of the season. So I think Houston can still put up points. I think the Colts will need to throw the ball in some capacity, and Nyhum Hines could be a good lock for, you know, four or five targets and a handful of carries in this game. And if he finds the end zone, you're really happy. So fire him up. I'm starting Nyhum Hines in week 13. One thing that's really changed in my process going into 2021 and beyond is looking at quarterback tendencies a little bit more than just player 
production in college or you know what they put up combine wise or what they've even done in the league but it's looking at those tendencies and we looked at like Teddy Bridgewater we should have known Teddy Bridgewater always checks down to the running back. He did it in Minnesota. He did it in New Orleans. And now he's doing it in Carolina. We've seen Mike Davis have great a great real season for a guy who's a backup running back behind a full-time workhorse in Christian McCaffrey. But even Christian McCaffrey has had multiple double-digit target games from Teddy Bridgewater. Even Gardner Minshew was a guy who had the tendency to check down to the running back. We saw that with Leonard Fournette putting up over 100 targets in 2019. We should have extrapolated that out onto James Robinson, but sometimes we just get a little bit too caught up in that and the players themselves throw Drew Brees into that mix. He's right there with Phillip Rivers as these uh, you know, veteran, some of the best in the league, throwing behind the line of scrimmage. So just something I wanted to throw out there, how I'm changing my process over time is looking a little bit more at these running back target tendencies of these QBs. Let's move over to the next start sit question here. A guy that is as disgusting as it is to say, I think I'm willing to plug him in if I need him. And it's Frank Gore against Man. the Vegas Raiders. Like, I, this doesn't excite me at all. This is disgusting. I'm almost ashamed to be talking about this right now and admitting that I'm willing to start 37-year-old Frank Gore in week 13 of the 2020 NFL season. Here's the thing. If you need... This is a total roster-dependent move. If you're looking at your matchup and you're like... Holy smokes, I'm going against a team that's a juggernaut. I need my RBs to pop. Frank Gore is not getting you that big week. He's just not going to do it. But if you're looking at your opponent, you're like, dang, this is one of the bottom feeders of the league. I just need to secure this win to get into the playoffs or get that bye week or whatever. And I, I just need 8 to 10 points. I need 10 points out of my RB2. I think Frank Gore is just about a lock for that 8 to 10 points. I think he does get above that 10 number because he's just getting the touches. I mean, his last two games without Michael Pirine, 15 carries and 18 carries, two catches and three catches in those two games. It's not efficient work. The touchdown upside is low. But if he gets 15 carries for, you know, 60 yards, 15 carries for 50 yards, and he can add a couple of catches as well, and maybe he falls into the end zone for the Jets' one touchdown of the week, you got yourself a pretty solid RB2 performance. So I'm not trying to start Gore, but if you just need that really safe baseline, I think you can plug him in. I think he is safe for double-digit fantasy points this week. He has a super high floor. And when you compare him to other names that we're going to talk about here as we move down this list, I think you're starting him over a lot of these guys. And one of those, at least to me, is Cam Akers. Cam Akers had a great game in Week 12. Only 27% of snaps, but was hyper-efficient, scored a touchdown, had 84 yards on just nine carries. It's a 9.3-yard per attempt from Cam Akers. We saw the breakaway play. We're starting to see some efficiency there. I think this is a great takeaway for Cam Akers investors in Dynasty, but I'm not ready to start Cam Akers yet when he's only playing, like he's playing less than 30% of snaps. You just can't trust that in your, your fantasy football. I'm actually shocked to hear that. I, mean, I watched that game and it felt like he was out there more because the only productive plays they were getting from the running back position were from Cam Akers. But I'm with you. Back-to-back -back weeks with touchdowns, you know, really good to see him performing at a high level and being efficient. But you just can't start him yet. You just can't do it. There's a three-headed backfield there. And I think unless one or both of Malcolm Brown and Daryl Henderson go down, it's just going to be too dicey to rely on Cam Akers. So, it, you know, if he continues to break out and continues to emerge and get better and better every week, keep him on your bench and maybe by the playoffs he's someone you're willing to start. But for now, I'm leaving him on my bench. I'd rather start Frank Orr, which sounds crazy to say. <laughs> yep, I'm with you. And the next two weeks, 
are some rough matchups, Arizona, New England. And then after that has the Jets and the Seahawks. So definitely a guy you should keep on your bench. Maybe he could explode in these easy matchups down the stretch. We know injuries are happening at all-time high levels this season. He's definitely a depth piece at the running back position that you want to have on a roster. Let's talk about another running back here, James White, who's coming off back-to-back 14 fantasy point performances in PPR leagues. And both games has seen just five carries but ended up having two touchdowns against Arizona, only one target. James White has really been, I'm not even going to say boom bust. He's been high floor or bust. Bust. (laughs) He's been a bust or bust, honestly, but he's had some good games the last two weeks. If you're riding this hot hand, if he's on your roster in a matchup against the Chargers, which are a beatable defense, are you willing to plug James White in there again? Uh, as a maybe a, a wide receiver two or I'm sorry a, a run RB two or flex yeah I am I mean the Patriots have a historically slow pace of play this year and that's definitely contributed to the low output of their offense but they're also not getting anywhere and you think about this backfield you have Damon Harris you have Cam Newton who runs the ball you had Rex Burkhead Sony Michelle is going to be back in the mix as well and James White and it's just a total crowded mix of guys you want to stay away from but since Rex Burkhead has gone out with that injury, James White has essentially become James White plus Rex Burkhead. You look at those past two games, very, very, very small sample size. But over the past two weeks, James White's been productive. RB8 over the past two weeks. I know you can't take a lot away from that because it is such a small sample size, but it's encouraging. Encouraging enough to where I'd be willing to start him because the receiving work is there. And in a game against the Los Angeles Chargers, who are one of these teams that's associated with shootouts it feels like each and every week with Justin Herbert slinging the ball one of the fastest paces of play in the league it's like fire meets ice so I expect there to be a decent amount of volume in this game if Justin Herbert can put up points against a Patriots defense that's beatable I think Cam Newton might have to throw the ball we know he hasn't liked throwing it down the field this season so James White is going to be the benefactor of that so I'll lock in James White I'll play James White over a lot of the guys we've talked about over Cam Akers over Frank Gore um, and probably Close to Naheem Hines. I think Hines has a higher upside, but if you want floor, I like James White just fine. I think you're a little bit higher on James White than I am. I'm trying not to start him if I can help it at all. Give me a guy like Chase Edmonds. Give me Naheem Hines. Give me even J.D. McKissick over James White. I know it's gross to say, and James White has had those two pop weeks without Burkhead in the lineup. It's just we know the floor is like three points for James White. That Again, that could be said for a lot of running backs. That could even be said for Frank Gore, but – I'm trying to look the other way, but you got two sides of the coin here, me and you. That's why we got both of us on this show. Let's talk about one more running back, more of a chalk name, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, coming off a pretty rough outing against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, only 4.9 fantasy points. He did get a large majority of the snaps, 61% of snaps, had 11 carries for only 37 yards, did catch his one target for two yards. This was just a game script thing. We know Tampa Bay is a great run defense. I'm not surprised by this output, uh, but we've talked about CEH before. He has to be a guy that you have to plug in every single week because of the upside. And and just two weeks ago in week 11 against Las Vegas, Clyde Edwards-Alaire gave you a 20-point fantasy outing. So the volume hasn't been tremendous, but the upside in this offense is what makes him a guy that unfortunately, whether he puts up five points or 25 points, I think you have to fire him up every single week as a high-end RB2. Yeah, I mean, he's a tough case. I think he's an RB2, but I think he's someone you have to play. He's just in this Chiefs offense. Anyone that's associated in the Chiefs offense and is getting significant touches is someone you have to pretty much 
plug into your lineup. So, you know, Tyree Kill and Kelsey are obvious. The next guy there getting significant touches is Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And at the running back position, 11 to 15 touches can be really valuable. And when it's in such a dynamic offense, there's always touchdown upside. This is a matchup against Denver. We all expect the Chiefs to win. Now, they could do what they did last week against Tampa Bay when they were up by 20 points, just keep throwing the ball. But I expect them to, to slow it down a little bit with the run in a game that they're going to control against the Broncos. And I think CH is a good start. Believe it or not, that Chiefs-Broncos game has the second highest over-under on the week at 50.5 points. I think that's assuming that Drew Locke is going to be back under center for the Broncos. Shout out to Kendall Hilton. Hinton. Let's talk about wide receivers. It was a great try. <laughs> it was. It was. But now let's talk about our wide receiver start sits for week 13. We got four names here. We're going a little bit deeper because we know we're in playoff time. The waivers are pretty much nothing at this point. The first one we'll talk about is Jerry Judy for the Broncos going up against the Kansas City Chiefs. Just mentioned it. It's the second highest over under on the week at 50 and a half. I think that's assuming Drew Locke is going to be back. I think you're fading Jerry Judy if Drew Locke is not back. But even with him in the lineup, is he a guy that you're willing to put in at your flex spot? Uh, I mean, first of all, yeah, Drew Locke has to be back. If there's no Drew Locke, <clears throat> no Jerry Judy, and it's not even close. But if Drew Locke is back, man, this is so hard. I think I would try to stay away from Jerry Judy. I, I don't know. The, the Chiefs are good against the wide receiver position. Um, we do, we, I mean, against the Chiefs, anyone going against the Chiefs, you expect them to need to throw the ball. The game script's going to be favorable for Denver wide receivers, but I'm just not trusting this Denver offense at all. They've been dysfunctional all season long, and they're coming off of a week where none of their quarterbacks played. I think it's going to take them, you know, I, I don't expect them to seamlessly get right back into their flow. So, Especially against Kansas Judy, City. Yeah, especially against Kansas City. So if you're desperate, you can. But looking forward to some of the other names on this list, I think I'd actually take all three of them over Jerry Judy this week. So stay tuned, and you'll find out who those three guys are. Um, I'm sitting Jerry Judy if I can here in Week 13. Yeah, I'm with you. The, the, the one promising piece has been the target volume, and it hasn't been efficient. You can blame that on Drew Locke. You can blame that on Jerry Judy being a rookie. But over the four weeks before – Week 12, Jerry Judy had 40 targets over those four weeks. Like He was at a very high pace. They did what they did with Justin Jefferson in Minnesota, which is move him out of a slot-only guy, started moving him to the outside, moving him around the formation. We saw him step into that wide receiver one role. But with how much this, this Broncos offense has been turning over, like we see Tim Patrick have his weeks. We see... Keisha Hamler go and, and you know, score touchdowns, take away some of that target share. It's just tough to trust Jerry Judy with any sort of confidence. Let's talk about a guy who's a, a high floor play. You probably have him on the back of your bench as a depth piece. We talked about depth versus upside at the beginning of the show, but it's Cole Beasley, who in week 13 has a matchup against the San Francisco 49ers. It's coming off a, a floor game, 9.3 fantasy points, 2 for 25 I guess. Uh, oh, he had that pass as well. He had a passing touchdown that kind of saved his day on a trick play there against the Chargers in Week 12. But are you willing to start up Cole Beasley if you know, whether it's due to injury, due to COVID, or just lack of studs on your roster? Would you be willing to plug in Cole Beasley as a flex play? He's the wide receiver 24 on the year, so should technically be a wide receiver too. I don't think I'm feeling it. I think I'd be willing to start him if I was desperate. I, you know, obviously I'd like to be starting 
studs out there instead of Cole Beasley. But in games where John Brown has missed, when you know John Brown's going to be out for this game, Cole Beasley has been a lot better than games with John Brown, and he's been very consistent. The targets are there. Josh Allen is throwing the ball a ton. Last week was a bit of a down week. Luckily, he was bailed out by that passing touchdown. But I, I would expect Cole Beasley to have a fine game here against San Francisco. He's a floor play. He is one of those guys you're really hoping for, you know, five catches, 50 yards, six catches, 60 yards, and he gets you a solid baseline at your flex spot. I don't think he's going to absolutely take the top off in this game against San Francisco. So, you know, I'm willing to start him. Of course, I'm, I'm not, you know, going through um, the matchups this week and be like, oh, my gosh, I wish I had Cole Beasley on more of my teams. <laughs> but if I'm in one of those pinches, I think he's a fine play. I think if you like Jacoby Myers, who had his who has yeah. really come to prominence on, on the Patriots. If you like Jacoby Myers, I think you have to like Cole Beasley. And that Bills offense is much more electric than the Patriots offense right now with Josh Allen still cooking. San Francisco, it's not the best matchup in the world. I think Cole Beasley can be productive. I am willing to plug him in as a mid to low end wide receiver three flex play in week 13 but let's move over to a guy who said his best game of the season in week 12 alex i'm interested as as a colts truther an absolute stan tell me what you think about ty hilton coming off a 18 point fantasy game against the tennessee titans four receptions for 81 yards and a touchdown again by far his best game of the season against houston who's towards the bottom if not one of the worst against receivers yeah. are you willing to plug T.Y. Hilton back in and go back to well with a 31 year old who is sitting as the wide receiver 69 in PPR leagues currently I'm willing to I don't want to but if I need a if I need a streamer if I if I'm dealing with you know Robbie Anderson DJ Moore Chris Godwin Mike Evans on by and I need a streamer I'm willing to go to T.Y. Hilton he's Got a, as good a matchup as anyone. Um, I expect the Colts have to throw the ball in this game. His snaps were up last game. Now, given that was because they were in a comeback situation. But he got in the end zone. I have to give my brother props for this one. We were debating all week through Thanksgiving, through everything. He's like, man, like, I just feel like this is going to be the week T.Y. Hilton gets his first touchdown. Should I pick him up and start him in my league? And I was like, dude, you are crazy if you do that. We're both Colts fans. Surely enough, shout out to Brad. He called it. T.Y. Hilton got into the end zone for the first time this year against Tennessee. So maybe we needed to have him on as a guest this week to look in his crystal ball and see if he'd get in against Houston. But I, I do think you ride the hot hand. I think T.Y. Hilton, someone you can stream. We know what he does. He's got um, that deep ball upside. So, you know, he's probably going to get you somewhere from five to eight targets. You just have to hope that one of them is that big play. He's one of those boomer bust guys. I don't think the floor is there, obviously, with T.Y. Hilton anymore. So you're really banking on a couple of those long chunk plays or the touchdown. Now with Phillip Rivers, those do come less frequently than they did back in the day with Andrew Luck. Um, but, you know, if you're desperate, I think you can roll him out there. He's got the great matchup, which is the only thing drawing me back to he, to T.Y. Hilton. And honestly, Steph, like he's my boy, so I just want to see this guy succeed. So I'm hopeful that he he keeps it going this week against Houston. Yeah, that matchup, it's just you circle that one every single week. I mean, Houston, Houston, and then Vegas, and then Houston again. So if you've had some injuries and you're just, you've are just you been like rotating flexes, pick up T.Y. Hilton, even if you don't start him this week, see what he does. And if he has another hot game, he's going to have another two really good matchups after this week. Well, another older wide receiver who has a smash matchup in Week 13, who I think I would put him over. No, I definitely would put him over T.Y. Hilton. 
<laughs> is Nelson Aguilar, who has been operating as a wide receiver one for the Raiders. Turns out the uh, Henry Ruggs draft pick, just drafting based on 40 time, is not the move. Sorry to hear that, John Gruden. But Nelson Aguilar against the Jets in Week 13. Again, smash matchup. He actually is, I'm seeing here, he's dealing with an ankle injury right now. He didn't practice today. Assuming he's active and in the lineup, how do you feel about Nelson Aguilar this week? I think I have him as a flex. Yeah, I'm with you. I'll start Nelson Aguilar if he's active and healthy this week. I was in a pinch last week, had Julio Jones out, had Adam Thielen on the COVID list. I had to start Aguilar. And even in like the worst game of Derek Carr's career, somehow Nelson Aguilar <laughs> came out of there with 10 PPR fantasy points, which all things considered, <laughs> I was certainly happy with. And here against the Jets, another great matchup. Surely Derek Carr is going to bounce back in some way, shape, or form this week. Aguilar's been, you know, the number one on that team so far this season. Hunter Renfro's had his fair share of good games as well. Uh, but I think Aguilar, you know, of the wide receivers on the Las Vegas Raiders, has the best chance to get into the end zone. And I think he has the best chance for the most volume as well. So find a rollout Aguilar. And I'm with you. I'll take him over T.Y. Hilton, who we just talked about. I'll take him over Beasley and honestly over Judy as well. I like him the best of all the wide receiver start sits this week. I'm with you. Now let's talk about. It's, it's a staple on the show, our starts of the week, guys that we expect to exceed expectations in week 13, whether it's a deeper name that we see as a great upside play or one week fill-in, maybe a chalk option that we think is just going to smash in the right matchup. And last week we had some wins, we had some losses. All I know you had, you had Daniel Jones who was looking good and then got hurt. You had Zach Moss who was fine for a fill-in. I had Derek Carr, which just that absolutely hurts. Worst game of his career. I don't think anyone saw that coming. I looked you around. You and a lot of others had Derek Carr. Yeah, I looked around at, at every other fantasy analysis website out there. Everyone had Derek Carr, at least in their top 10, if not much higher than that. And he just busted out. Miles Sanders busted out against Seattle. But we had some major wins. I had Justin Jefferson as a wide receiver one. He finishes the wide receiver six. You had Robbie Anderson, who bounced back with 19.5 PPR points. Mike Isicki panned out as a tight end stream. And Evan Ingram, your boy, blew up. He was a chalk option that exceeded expectations. 16 fantasy points in PPR. But Alex, I'll pass it to you first. Who is your quarterback? Start of the week in week 13, one week before the fantasy playoffs. Let's get it. It's... No other than Kirk Cousins against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I know it sounds crazy. It's a must-win week for a lot of people. Kirk Cousins, we think of him as all over the board, a low-volume option, not able to get it done. But, but dude, Steph, Kirk Cousins has been on a tear over his past four games. He is the quarterback five in fantasy football. He is absolutely lighting it up. Four weeks ago against Detroit, 20 points. Then against Chicago, had 18. Against Dallas, had 23. And last week against Carolina, had 26. Gets the great matchup this week against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Adam Thielen should be back. He was activated off the COVID list today. The expectation is that he is going to play this week. And we saw Baker have one of his best games of the season. We definitely saw Jarvis Landry have his best game of the season against Jacksonville last week. Baker was 258 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. So I expect Kirk Cousins to come out here against a Jacksonville Jaguars team that is struggling um, and absolutely light it up. I think it could be a Dalvin Cook game as well, but if Cousins comes out and can get you 250 and two, you know, right off the waiver wire, I think you'll definitely take that at your quarterback spot, especially if you've been rolling with guys like Matt Ryan or Derek Carr over the past few weeks. J.J. Zacharyson tweeted out, 
Fantasy points per game since week six. Russell Wilson, 20.9. Kirk Cousins, 20.3. So, I, wow. I was floored to see that stat. Shout out to JJ. But that's that's great to see for Kirk Cousins' fantasy value. He actually, he's quietly balling out. It seems like he does this every single year. This is why we're all in that late round QB draft strategy. But another guy who was in that range that we were smashing on late in drafts was Ryan Tannehill, my quarterback start of the week. Tana Thrill, we had him multiple times. I remember in 2019, as the season went on, as a guy that you had to just keep plugging in every single week. And we've seen the floor. It's a brutal floor that Tannehill has because in some games that he's just not going to pass at all. But this season, he's sitting in the top 10 at the quarterback position in fantasy. And I think he has a smash matchup this week against Cleveland. When the Titans get a lead or even in a neutral game script, we know they run the ball a ton. But even on limited volume... Tannehill's efficiency makes up for it. He's one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the league. Last week against the Colts, the Titans had a three-score lead early, and Tannehill only had to throw the ball 22 times. That was outside the top 25 in pass attempts on the week. Yet, Tannehill still delivered. 221 passing yards, a touchdown through the air, a touchdown on the ground, and now the Titans play Cleveland. The Browns are 21st against the quarterback, giving up 19 fantasy points per game to the position. Vegas has this game... Believe this or not, Alex, Vegas has the Titans-Browns game as the highest over-under on the week at 54 points. And the Browns wow. are another team that likes to run the ball. The Titans' run defense is in the bottom six. They lost their linebacker, Jayon Brown, for the rest of the season after an elbow injury in Week 11. So the game, should, game script should be more competitive. The Browns have had a solid run defense this season. So even if Derrick Henry does have some big plays, which I think he will, it's, it's November, December Derrick Henry at this point. I still think they're going to need Tannehill to move the ball. You add in the fact that Tannehill's top 10 in yards per attempt and red zone completion percentage, and you've got yourself a week 13 QB start or stream of the week. I love it. Tana thrill. We're always going back to the well with Tannehill. He's got to be like the most often used start of the week between <laughs> you and I, because somehow he keeps getting it done with this crazy efficiency. But Steph, let's go ahead and move over to my running back start of the week. Someone who does not have crazy efficiency, it's David Montgomery, but I'm still willing to fire him up this week against Detroit. Wow. Coming off of his best game of the season against Green Bay, 11 carries for 103 yards, added five catches for 40 yards and a touchdown through the air. And we said it coming into the year. David Montgomery is going to be a valuable RB2, not because he scores a lot of touchdowns, not because he gets passing work, but because of volume. But Steph, interesting to see the passing work has shown up for David Montgomery. Since Tariq Cohen went out with injury, here are David Montgomery's target totals each week. Six, eight, five, 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 three, and six. So the targets are showing up for David Montgomery in this offense. I do believe this offense is better with Mitch Trubisky, so the touchdown upside is going to be a little bit higher with Trubisky out there, just moving the chains with his legs, um, targeting actually his best player, Allen Robinson, which Nick Foles never wanted to do. So <laughs> I think David Montgomery is really coming into his own, getting volume, getting some passing work. Maybe the Bears offense has some more touchdown opportunities, and the matchup is just beautiful against Detroit. Bottom five in the league in rushing yards allowed per game. So if you have David Montgomery, I mean, this is an absolute smash play. And with a touchdown, I think he gets you up close to 20 points this week um, in week 13 heading into the playoffs. I love it, man. He's sitting at... RB15 and PPR, right where we had him in our projections. I think we had him a little bit lower than that, but you were all over Monty, and it's panning out, it's panning out for you in a big way. But my running back, start of the week, is 
a little bit more chalk, but it's Chris Carson against the Giants. Back from injury, Carson should be a smash play in this matchup. We keep saying that smash play. Essentially, that just means, look, it's a chalk guy who's in the best situation that you could want for fantasy. And even unlimited snaps from Carson last week, they were easing him back into the offense after the injury. He only played 37% of snaps, but he was still 8 for 41 on the ground, had a touchdown as well, and then had two receptions for 20 yards through the air, putting together 14 PPR points, again, on 37% of snaps. But don't let the fantasy points fool you. The Seahawks have shown that when healthy, they want Chris Carson to be their full-time workhorse back, which makes him a huge value for fantasy. In the five weeks before his injury, Carson was seeing 12 carries and four targets a game. You add in the upside from the Seahawks offense with goal line work that had Chris Carson as a top five running back through the first five weeks of the season before his injury. And that's even while at times he's been splitting touches with Hyde, Homer, and Dallas. Carson only broke 60% of snaps one time this season, but they're just using him everywhere on the field. They've been passing a lot more. We all know Russ has been cooking. So give Carson another week to get healthy. An easy matchup against the Giants, who may be without Daniel Jones. This might just be a run-off-the-clock game for the Seahawks. And this is the perfect storm for Chris Carson to remind everyone of his dominance to start 2020. Yeah, I really like that pick, Steph. Plug him back in there with confidence in a, a really good matchup against the Giants. But moving on to the receiver spot, it's my start of the week. Another guy you need to roll out there with confidence, even if you were disappointed last week, it's Cooper Cup against the Arizona Cardinals. It was one of his two really disappointing outings so far this season. I roster Cooper Cup and, you know, our big league stuff. So I was obviously very disappointed last week, only put up two catches for 41 yards on five targets. And when you think about Yikes. this Rams offense, the concern is like, oh, Cooper Cup gets phased out of the game because of 12 personnel and Josh Reynolds and all this. Cooper Cup played 89% of snaps. I was actually surprised to see the lack of production when he was on the field because Jared Goff tends to hone in on Cup when he is out there. Goff and uh, Cooper Cup are boys, so I expect <laughs> you know a pretty good rapport with them this week. I expect Cup to be like, hey, bro, like you got to give me the ball a little bit more heading into a game against Arizona where points should be on the board. There's only a 48.5 point over under as of now. Smash but in a over. matchup against the Arizona, yeah, in a matchup against the Arizona Cardinals, that's kind of surprising. I know both defenses are coming on. Both the Rams and Cardinals offenses have kind of started to struggle a little bit, but I, I would smash the over in this game. I expect there to be points on the board, and I actually really like Cooper Cup to get back into the end zone this week. He hasn't scored a touchdown since week four, and for a guy who we always say, oh, he was so reliant on the touchdowns last season, and he's like the main red zone target, Cooper Cup has only caught two touchdowns this season, so I expect some positive regression there, and it's going to start this week against the Arizona Cardinals. I love it. I love it. I was forward to hear that on, on Cup's touchdowns. Haven't looked at his game log in a minute. And that would make a lot of sense why his production hasn't been as high, but he's still producing week in, week out. Got to keep plugging him in. But my wide receiver start of the week is Devontae Parker against the Cincinnati Bengals. And since Fix Magic has come back in for Tua, who is expected to miss this week, they said multiple weeks at the time of the injury when they pulled him out, he has a thumb issue going on. So it should be Fitzmagic. This this take kind of crumbles if Tua's back in. But with Fitzmagic, Parker has had back-to-back -back 18 fantasy point outings. Fitz loves to dial in on Parker. We saw the report in 2019 when Parker finished as a wide receiver one on the year. And over the last two games, nine targets against Denver, 14 targets against the New York Jets. 
Now, I wouldn't expect a 35% target share like we saw against the Jets, but Parker, I think, is in line to easily get 25% or more of the targets with Preston Williams out with injury. He's still on IR the last time I checked. So now Parker's in another soft matchup in Cincinnati in Week 13. The Dolphins' run game has had some issues with Miles Gaskin and Salvan Ahmed missing time with injury. So I expect them to lean on the pass a little bit more. I think you got to ride the hot hand. With Fitzmagic under center, Devontae Parker is a locked-in wide receiver two with wide receiver one upside every week. And I think the, the Ryan Fitzpatrick stream has some appeal to go along with it. But Parker's my start for Week 13. Interesting. If Tua plays this week, does that change? I'm bumping him down a little bit just because I don't think they're going to ask Tua to do him. what Fitzmagic does. Plus, he's just not making some of those tough throws that a seasoned journeyman like Fitzmagic is going to put up there. And let's be real, Tua doesn't have the magic that Fitzmagic brings to the table. So I do bump him down, but I think I am still willing to start Parker. But I would move him from a wide receiver two to maybe a low-end wide receiver three if two is active. Unfortunately, Steph, we have to move on to the tight end position. Yikes. My start of the week is Hayden Hurst against the New Orleans Saints. And this is just for a lack of depth at the position. I mean, I said it last week with Evan Ingram. He's been my start of the week several times. And it's because at this position, rather than just rolling the dice on a touchdown, like an Austin Hooper last week, he he got like two catches, 10 yards and a touchdown. So you're happy. You got to look at guys getting volume, even if they're not efficient with them, because the targets are going to lead to potentially higher floors and a higher potential for a touchdown at the position than anything else. And someone who's getting that work is Hayden Hurst, similar to what Evan Ingram was getting um, you know, so far this season, now the cat's out of the bag on Evan Ingram, but Hurst last week, four catches, 48 yards, but it was on eight targets. The matchup against New Orleans isn't necessarily great, but at home, I expect Matt Ryan to bounce back um, from what he did against New Orleans a couple weeks ago where the Falcons were absolutely terrible. And outside of the, the, the previous game against New Orleans where Hayden Hurst actually put up zero, that might've actually burned you a little bit. So people are probably scared to plug him back in, in this matchup. The games before that, I mean, eight targets, seven targets, seven targets, four targets, double-digit PPR points in four straight weeks before that goose egg against New Orleans. So the tight end position always has the potential to burn you, but you just have to give yourself the best chance each and every week with volume, with offenses that move the ball and feature the tight end spot, and the Falcons are one of the teams that do that. So if you have Hayden Hurst, you got to keep rolling him out there each and every week and take the ups with the downs. I like him to get six to eight targets this week against New Orleans. If he gets into the end zone, you're actually probably going to win your week against your opponent at the tight end spot. <laughs> tight end nine in PPR leagues right now for it's Hayden crazy. Hurst. Yeah, that's a little mind-blowing because you feel like every most weeks he does disappoint you, but now no Julio Jones in the lineup. Olomide Zacchaeus is also out, so we can't step into that role either. I think Hurst is going to see some of that additional volume with those guys being out. But you mentioned how gross the tight end spot is, and that this just plays to the point of, of how gross this tight end start is. I don't even want to say it. I'm scared. Because my start of the week is Jordan Reed <laughs> for the San Francisco 49ers against the Buffalo Bills. How are we still talking about this guy? It's crazy. <laughs> I feel like he was out of the league three years ago, but somehow he still slides in and somehow still able to put up fantasy points. And he's in a great matchup this week. If you're like me in some leagues and you're just scraping the bottom of the barrel at the tight end spot, you got to pick somebody up. Like Trey Burton was the guy that I picked up last week. I think for this week, it's going to be Jordan Reed because the Bills are a bottom five team against the tight end. Reed doesn't play more than 50% of snaps really on any given week, but he's still averaging five targets a game this season, including games with Kittle in the lineup. 
And one really interesting stat on Jordan Reed, he is number one among all tight ends in targets per snap. So when he's on the field, he gets targeted, plain and simple. I expect his target or his his snap share to increase, meaning the target should increase with it if that stat remains constant. I know it's a crapshoot, but these guys are all crapshoots at this point. But coming off a six target target game and a tough matchup against the Rams, I think the floor is around six points for Reed this week. If you're scraping the bottom of the barrel at tight end, Reed at least gives you a chance to put up some points in a really good matchup. So that's my start of the week. Again, it feels it. disgusting. We might actually delete this take out from the show. <laughs> but Alex, I, I think that wraps up our week 13 preview, our week 12 recap. I mean, this is it. Next week, we're going to be talking about fantasy playoff matchups. Things Hype, are going to get even man, more intense. Go. But guys, thank you all so much for listening and watching. Really appreciate you all spending the time to listen. If you like what we do here, please hit that subscribe button on YouTube. That is huge for us. A like is always appreciated as well. And a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Really appreciated for us. Again, if you like the show, we want to hear from you. So thank you all so much. We'll catch you next time. And hit us with those start sick questions in the comments down below. Peace. Peace.